Oh, I got one announcement for you. Um, we are gospel class. We were starting another one. Apparently, about three or four weeks ago, I gave a message that you actually listened to. <laughs> Fancy that. It's called Membership That Accounts For Us. And after it was over, we had a few people come up to people in the Welcome Center and to Michael, and they said, hey, when are you guys going to do your next gospel class? Our gospel class is an eight-week class that we do. It covers basic theology as well as what we believe Element's vision is for us as a church, and it's a prerequisite for membership. You gotta, this is our membership requirements. Number one, uh, that you go through the gospel class, not necessarily in this order, okay? Uh, secondly, that you've been baptized, not necessarily at Element, like, but if you haven't been, we'd love to dunk you. We love doing that stuff. And the third thing is, is that you're actually a believer in Jesus. <laughs> okay, so that's, that's an important one, right? Let me remember of a church. Who's Jesus? I don't know. So, yeah, follow our Jesus. And, and if, you, if you don't know a lot about Jesus, go to the gospel class. We'll talk about him the entire time. It will be simply amazing. So if you want to go to that, uh, it'll start the first Sunday in June during second service. So if you want to get up a little earlier, God forbid, right? You can show up to that and then come to the service and you will all be fine. It'll be great. You should all come to the gospel class anyway. And if you've gone through it before, maybe missed a week, all you got to do is listen to it online. We just we like people to go to uh, as many of the classroom ones as possible because sometimes questions get raised, and we want you to be able to ask those questions so we can answer those questions for you. If you are newer, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. On the communion tables around the room, there are these things called sermon notes. On the inside, you'll get some notes that go a little bit deeper and questions to take you deeper as well that you can ask your family or friends or if you are really alone and no one's around, you can ask them to yourself. But then we'd say, hey, get involved in the gospel community, and you can ask them there together. It'd be great. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Click on events in Uversion, and you will get the sermon notes, questions, verses, announcements, all that goes along with today's message right on your phone. And when I say flip to this verse, you'll actually be there because it'll be in your phone. It'll be amazing. And I've already started, see? I've, I've caused people to start crying. And I, it's a gift I have. I'm sorry. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. I do have the gift of making you cry, apparently. Why don't you stay on me reading God's word? We will get started. This is Acts chapter 6, verse 1, and it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning that you would teach us what it means to be a people who live and walk in your ways. And when we stumble and we fall and we fail, that we remember that it is you who has defined our lives and our failures don't define us, you do. You would teach us how to live and walk in the understanding that our lives are your story and you are writing us into it. And so we can live in the midst of our failures with great hope and great grace, knowing that you are the God who has saved us. Amen. Have a seat. Right, so this is the book of Acts, week 17. We are trekking through the first half of the book of Acts. We're going to take a break right in the middle, uh, right at uh, Acts 13. And right now, I have no idea when we're going to come back and do the second half of it. It will come one day, but it's not even on my radar at this point. The first half will take us through the end of September. Then we're going to do this series at the end of September called What in the World that's going to take us all the way into Christmas. What in the World is a series where sometimes I read through the scriptures and I'm like, what in the world is this? And so we're going to talk about that. And during that series, we're going to give you three by five cards where you get to write your what in the world questions down as well. And so we will answer those the following summer. So it's just us like throwing the hook in you and making you stay. 
Whatever. Anyway, uh, now we're doing the book of Acts in an attempt to grow as a church, knowing what God called the early church to, and that was to be a witness. God empowered these people with his spirit to live on mission. When the Holy Spirit shows up, it's not meant to be like your weird uncle that shows up at Christmas and all mayhem breaks loose. It's meant to be that God gives you power to go into certain situations to be able to be a witness for him. Uh, The disciples, the Holy Spirit comes into their lives and God puts them into all kinds of crazy situations they would not have put themselves into, but they grow through these. And we hope that if you spend some time with us in the book of Acts, you also will grow. And the day that maybe you move out of Santa Maria and you leave Element, that you would find a church that begins to live in the things that we talk about as we go through the book of Acts. Uh, And you must also understand that all churches fail in this day. We're going to talk about what happens when a church fails or does something wrong. How does the leadership and the membership grow through those mistakes? So I'll start with the question, are you a failure? The answer is no, that's identity. You are not a failure. Now, I'll ask you the second question. Have you ever failed? Yeah, raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand, you are a liar, which is the worst kind of failure at all. So there you go, right? If, if you don't know how you fail in your marriage, just ask your spouse. I'm sure they've got a list. Tell you all about it, all that. It, it'll, it'll be great. We all fail. We all hate to own up to it. Henry Ford, his first five business ventures failed before he started Ford Motor Company. Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor because he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. Okay. Ho oh, ho. Right. Albert. Albert Einstein did not speak until he was four and did not read until he was seven, causing his teachers and parents to think he was mentally handicapped, that he was slow and antisocial. The question becomes, what do we do with our failures? Up to this point in the book of Acts, the apostles are living in the spirit, on mission, amazing things are happening. In Acts chapter 4, what you see is that there's all these wins that the church is having. Chapter 5, you see internal accountability and external persecution. And when you get to chapter 6, you start to see this internal opposition. Acts is moving on this trajectory of how the church grew into what we know that it is today. And here in Acts 6, you have internal opposition because of a failure on the leadership's part. And you know, have to know this. Every church is going to fail at something. Some of you guys, you love to complain, point it out, and then change churches because surely that other church won't have any problems like that last church I was in had. Oh, I hated the preacher, which I get. Okay, I understand that a lot, right? Or I hated the children's ministry. I don't understand that because they're a great bunch of people. Or not enough programs, or too many programs, or not enough accountability, or too much accountability. Everyone is a whiner. Everyone loves to complain. That's you and that is me. If you are new to Element, we have failures. You may not have seen them yet, but you soon will, okay? <laughs> You'll see them soon enough. The question for you is, will you stay and help us grow, or will you complain and simply leave? Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. As you do, I'll tell you a couple things. Thomas Edison, his teachers told him that he was too stupid to learn anything. Nice, right? Winston Churchill was defeated in every election for public office until he became prime minister at the ripe old age of 62. He was held back a year in elementary school, but he said that event of being held back in elementary school prepared him to stand up to Hitler. Uh, Abraham Lincoln went to war as a captain and returned home a private. Failure, okay? That's failure. Today you see the church's failure. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint. I think it was Driscoll that said, look, somebody found the internet. A complaint. 
by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the church at this point, they're taking care of people physically and spiritually. The church is gathering food to help out these widows. Now, who are these widows? Well, during this time, in Jesus' day, a lot of women, you can't go off to college, you can't get a certain job or careers, and they don't have 401ks. And even if you owned land, that land would usually be in your husband's name. And so if he died, you were very vulnerable. Hopefully, these women would have male children who could take care of them. And if not, hopefully they had daughters who married males who were providing that could take care of them. Hopefully, they did not have you know sons who played Xbox all day and thought going to school was a career. Because um, if they did, seriously, you would either die or you would have to become a prostitute. That's what happened in their lives. In order to help out, the church stepped in and tried to take care of these unfortunate women. They were godly women who loved Jesus. Taking care of them is a good idea, right? Yes, last service, I was like, uh, I'm like, Really? Yes, no, Jesus! Okay, yeah, right. The apostles failed at it. They, they failed at it. Uh, the conflict comes about because the, some widows are supposed to get help, and the Hebrew widows are getting more help than the Hellenist widows. And I know that makes no sense to you whatsoever, but these are ethnic and cultural groupings. Uh, when the Romans came in and, and the Greeks before them took over Israel, some Jews said, we're going to stay close to the temple, we're going to stay close to our heritage, we're going to be very devout. Those are the Hebrew widows. Others kind of moved out of the area. They're called the Diaspora. Uh, they picked up Greek culture, Greek, Greek languages are called the Hellenists. The Hebrews are like the conservatives. The Hellenists are like the liberals or progressives. And the first thing that you see is that Jesus loves them both. At Element, we have conservatives and liberals, and I should tell you, you guys should come together around Jesus and love one another. Your God should not be your politics. Your God should be Jesus, and that's what draws you together. In this church, there is right and left, and it is causing some conflict. The Hebrew widows, they like sit in first class, and the Hellenists have to sit in the back of the plane, or if it's a football game, the Hebrew widows get to sit like in the owner's box, and the Hellenist widows have to sit up in the nosebleed section. The Hebrew widows get more food, the Hellenist widows are getting less. The early church failed, because people failed. You know, Dr. Zeus, 27 different publishers rejected his first book to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. Charles Schultz had every cartoon he submitted rejected by his high school yearbook staff, and even after high school, he tried to work for Disney and was rejected. That's like the peanuts, like Snoopy? Who doesn't love Snoopy? We all love Snoopy, right? Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team, and that dude has a shoe named after him. Seriously, Michael Jordan said this, I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost 300 games. On 26 occasions, I have been entrusted to take the game-winning shot, and I missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Failure. In the early church, you have these old women, and somebody's grandma is getting hurt, so somebody is not happy. It is highly charged. And in the point, in this church, you cannot say, I'm going to go find another church, because there is no other church. Okay, This is the only one there is. And all these complaints kind of raise up. And as things grow, things change. Things have to change. And when that happens, you get complaints. Like, I used to be able to park my donkey right out front, and now I have no place to park my donkey. Or I used to show up and I could drink 10 cups of coffee because there was nobody here, and now the coffee's gone. How am I going to stay awake for that boring sermon? I used to show up, and there's all kinds of food in the back after services. Now there's too many people, and they all eat it, and I, all eat, I hate them. Eat complaints. It's complaints. What we have to understand is that even good churches fail. 
good leadership fails because we aren't Jesus. And don't worry, I'm not going to drop some bombshell on you today like, I have sinned. There's nothing like that coming, okay? I'm just telling you that everybody fails. Uh, there are These are the guys who actually spent time being trained by Jesus himself. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit. I mean, people can't say, this church doesn't teach the Bible. These guys wrote the Bible. So they can't say they, they don't teach it. The disciples are led, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they messed up because they're human. And the complaint goes public. It is aired out there. Everyone hears it. Lots of people know two factions start to fight. Again, I keep saying this to you. Every church fails at something. Every leader fails at something, whether it's at home, work, friendship, church. And I say this to you guys a lot. All of you are in leadership somewhere in your lives, even if it's just with your friends, or if you have kids, even if it's just with your kids. And I asked you, you know, have you failed? The answer is yes. What do you want when you fail from people? You want grace. You want someone to say, you know what, I forgive you, it's okay. You want grace in that. What do we want when other people fail us? Justice. Oh, I want you to hurt. Oh, that's why you got a horn in your car. We call it the instant justice button. Right? You're going through the roundabout. You failed! Again! That's what I use it for. I don't know about you, but it is. It's the instant justice button. So, with, with these guys... you. You have to understand that God is the one who comes and offers and gives us grace. I fail all the time. Do you know that people have left element because of me? Last service, that was not a shocker to anybody. I don't know why. <laughs> you know, believe it or not, I, I mean, sometimes people say, I don't pay enough attention to them. I didn't say hi fast enough. I've been in the middle of a conversation with you and I walked away right in the middle of the conversation. And half of last service laughed. And I'm like, okay, so I've done it to you. <laughs> Guys, I tell you, it is not you, it is me. I am so scatterbrained that that's how that happens a lot. I have a hard time staying focused. Ask the staff here. Ask my wife. Like, we can be talking about something, and I just, boop, and it's gone, and two hours later, it comes back into my mind, and I start talking like we never left off. It's weird. It's weird. Vincent Van Gogh, during his lifetime, sold only one painting, and that was to a friend for a very small amount of money. What a failure that guy was, Vincent Van Gogh. Seriously. I don't remember who said it, but one person wrote, Our lives can be a road littered with imperfect pots, but there is no other road, because we all fail. Okay, so this is verse 2, chapter 6. This is the response to failure. And the twelve, that's the apostles, summoned the full number of disciples, so that's a lot of people at this point, and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Ooh, ooh. Imagine if someone said that day, would be like, Oh, how dare they? Hashtag, I'm a servant. No way. They're not a servant. What's wrong with that guy, right? You know, imagine that going out on Twitter, right? You know, do they not know how important I am in my own eyes? I come here so Peter can serve me and my mom breakfast. I mean, imagine that today. Why did the church explode in the book of Acts? Obviously, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but he does that through them preaching the word of God. The church grows and the church matures through the preaching of the word. One writer says, where there is no preaching of the word of God, there is no church. This is why service organizations in our city, they are wonderful, they're a blessing, but what makes a church unique is not just our good works, but our good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Too many people today think the only thing the church is good for is good works, and they say, well, just keep Jesus out of it and do nice things. And some churches do that. But Matthew 16, 26, Jesus says, For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is important to people's souls. That's why you preach it. 
I mean, I know some churches who gather corporately and sometimes say, instead of preaching this week, we're going to go out and do this. I was at one church and did a puppet show. I have no idea why. That's a puppet show. There should always be preaching and teaching when we corporately gather to refocus the body in corporate worship of who Jesus is. There is nothing wrong with the apostles' words. I would rather have uh, Peter preaching and leading and writing than serving me or my mom breakfast. Preaching informs the caring. Preaching informs the serving. The word of God transforms all that it touches. They say we need to help these widows, but our priority and calling should be preaching the word of God. This is what happens when a church grows. At some point, you have to get smart and let people use their giftings. The waiters need to wait tables, and the cooks need to cook, and the administrators need to administrate, and the preachers need to preach. What did they do? They learned from their failure, and they grew from their mistake. They grew through their failure by understanding, and they changed, and they did something differently. Failure can be a powerful motivator and teacher. There's this book came out a few years ago. It's called Art and Fear. And they did this study. And I, I gotta love it when they take people and they treat them like field mice. I think it's hilarious. But anyway, uh, Art and Fear, they did this study with people of quantity versus quality. So they took Group A and they brought them in and said, over the course of the next year, we want you guys to produce as much art as possible. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter how it comes out. Just shoot for the moon. Do as much as possible. They bring in Group B and they say, now your guys' job, you're going to be graded solely on the quality of what you produce. So whether in the next year you just do one or two Whatever it is, make it the best that you can. And so group B is agonizing over their art. Is it going to be okay? They're so afraid to fail. And when the study is done, they find out that group A had both quantity and quality because they weren't afraid of the failure. Group B was worrying so much about failing and what it would look like that they agonized and didn't put out hardly anything that was any good. You've got to understand, when failure isn't part of what you're doing, you explode with creativity and strength. And we will all fail, all of us. That's not an excuse for our failures. But in one sense, God wants us like group A. We must understand that he has rescued, he has redeemed, he has saved, he has wiped away our sin, and so we get to go for it. Sarah Carpenter, she's playing keyboards this morning. And every once in a while, she'll get together with me and she'll be like, I need help with this. Or how did that, even before this service, she had a couple questions in this. And what I tell her sometimes, because she's really timid, now she plays that. But I'm like, Sarah, just go for it. Just, even if it's wrong, you'd be wrong in a big way. Just do it. She's like, okay. <laughs> right? Now, you know what I mean, right? I'm not saying if you're going to do drugs, do them all. Right? That, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not saying that, right? What I'm saying is, don't let failures stop you from becoming who God has called you to be. You may fail when you try something, but discouragement and loss of hope is not where God intends for you to live your life. God is not a God of discouragement. He's a God of hope. And failure, if you let it, can be a great motivator. I became a Christian when I was 17 years old. The Jehovah's Witnesses came to my house like the next week. I don't know if it was just what, it was God ordained. Because they come in and they tie me in this theological pretzel. I can't answer any of those questions. And I said, that's never going to happen to me again. And I started reading all kinds of books, which leads me to where I am today. With you guys, that failure leads exactly to where I am here. Sometimes failure means you need to persist. The Diary of Anne Frank, it was rejected 15 times before it was published. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone by J.K. Rowling was rejected nine times before it was published. MASH, they know that movie and that TV show is actually based on a book by Richard Hooker, is rejected 21 times before it was published. Today you have all these books, Chicken Soup for This and Chicken Soup for That. The original book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, was rejected 140 times. Should have been rejected 141, by the way. <laughs> Jonas Salk, who makes the polio vaccine, failed at 200 times before he got it right. 
And it's like the apostles. You know, we must have courage to learn from our failure. David Burns wrote this. When I am faced with a challenge and I do nothing, it leads to distorted thoughts. I am helpless, hopeless, and beyond change. The end result is self-defeating behavior, procrastination, avoidance, and escapism. These behaviors then reinforce negative thoughts, and the whole cycle spirals downward. Think about when a marriage is having a really hard time. And one person's feeling like they're failing because they can't live up to the other person's expectations. Psychologist Neil Warren says this, Lack of hope is what kills marriages more than anything else. When hope dies, the motivation to change dies, and you quit trying. And at that time, the death of the marriage is just a matter of time. What do the disciples do in the midst of this failure? They move forward even in the midst of the complaint. Verse 3, they say, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. They don't throw a band-aid on it. They don't ignore it and just walk away from it. They understood what went wrong and what needed to change. They found men to step in and begin to take care of things that they could no longer oversee. And the ministry of deacons is essentially born right there. The word deacon is the word minister. It literally translates as the word word servant. At Element, we have deacons, and we believe deacons are essentially assistant pastors in the church. The apostles set up deacons to oversee a lot of the affairs of the church. Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, and Stephen will dominate what we talk about the next few weeks. A man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas. I know, it sounds like everybody from the Lion King. Uh, And Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. So what they did is they saw their failure, and they they took steps to remedy it. Didn't throw their hands up like Seinfeld and say, you complainers, no soup for you. Right? They didn't do that. They didn't get bogged down in depression, even though they probably felt bad about these widows. They looked at what was best for the gospel to move forward, and that's what they did. They took steps forward. One author said, God made us so that t- taking a single step does much to defeat failure's power. Guys, if you have an area of failure in your life, start with a single step. You trust and hope that God has redeemed you, so you start to move forward in that. Anybody ever seen the movie The Princess Bride? Okay, if you haven't, you need to watch it. It's amazing. I'm going to ruin it for you right now. Okay, um, but you can still watch it. It's still great. There, there's this character in The Princess Bride called the Man in Black. And the Man in Black ends up being like the good guy. At first, like, oh, he's a bit, he's, ends up being a good guy. And he ends up in this thing called the Pit of Despair. I thought you said you guys saw it. The Pit of Despair, right? So, ugh, I mean the Pit of Despair. Is that better? No? Oh, Seriously. If you haven't seen it, you're totally lost, and I'm really sorry. I have failed. All right. So. No, not even that. Seriously, people? Come on. My best material is falling flat. So anyway, so, so the man in black, uh, he, he's in this pit of despair, and, and, they, and they mostly kill him. He's mostly... You've got to watch the movie. It makes no sense. Okay. So they go to Miracle Max. Miracle Max brings him back to life. What, what happened to him? He mostly failed. He's mostly dead. And he's laying there, and he's like, back to life. And all I can do is like move his little fingers like this. And they're all like, oh, you moved your finger. That's amazing. And he's like, yeah. I think he says, I'm a quick learner, or something like that. <laughs> but you got to understand, when you fail, it's kind of like that. I mean, you may be down like in, in a ditch somewhere, and God's lifting you up, and he's like, let's get up and move. But I can only move my finger. And God's like, yeah, you can move a finger. That's amazing. I mean, God lifts us up and walks with us and moves us on. You know, the main reason people fear trying to do something outside their area of comfort is failure. It's failure. The reason I love Acts so much is it spends the whole first half of it dealing with this knucklehead named Peter. Peter is a total loser. He fails at, like, everything. 
People's favorite story in the Bible about Peter is Peter walking on the water. Jesus walking on the water and Peter walks out to him. I mean, everybody, even people who don't believe in Jesus kind of know that story. There's these huge storms. Disciples are in a boat trying to get to the other side of Lake of Gal- Sea of Galilee. When this figure comes walking on the water, it's Jesus, by the way. And they're like us. Seen too many Hollywood movies and they're like, ah, it's a ghost! Read Matthew 14. It's hilarious. Jesus is like, hey guys, uh, not a ghost. It's me. And so Peter says, well, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come on, which is really funny, because if he was a mean poltergeist ghost, that's exactly what he would say. <laughs> come walking on the water. Oh, you died. Blah. You know? <laughs> totally. But it's not. It's really Jesus. Okay. So Peter gets out of the boat, sees the wind and the waves, gets really scared, and he starts to sink, and Jesus has to get him out of the water. And a lot of people talk about this, and they say, oh, look at Peter's failure. Look what happened to Peter. He lost his faith. Oh, he failed. But did he fail? I don't know. You know, failure is kind of a judgment about an event. It's how we think about the outcome. Did Peter fail? I don't know. Maybe he didn't, you know, his faith wasn't strong enough. He took his eyes off Jesus and saw the waves, and he sank and failed. But I think it was in Ortberg's book, If You Want to Walk on the Water, you got to get out of the boat. He points out that there are 11 bigger failures that sat in the boat that wouldn't even get out and tried what Peter did. They failed quietly. They failed privately. And nobody gives sermons about those guys, except me, right now. So there you go, right? They didn't risk. What happens when you get to the book of Acts, metaphorically speaking, all these guys are out of the boat. They're all walking on water. And you know what happens? Sometimes they sink. Sometimes they sink and they fail. But they didn't let those failures define them. They allowed God's grace to define them. And in so doing, they define what other people would label as their failures. Uh, verse 6. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And some people think this is weird. Laying hands on somebody is simply us becoming God's hands to the world around us. So sometimes when we pray for people, sometimes people outstretch their arms. If someone's close enough to you, you put your hand on them and pray for them. You're supposed to represent God's hands kind of on that person when praying for them. It's We're meant to touch one another. Unless you're really creepy, then don't. But the rest of you, touch somebody and you pray for them. Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, which lets you know that God... God didn't discard them because of their failure. He continued to use them. Then this amazing line, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. These ones who have stood against them the entire time now start to believe in Jesus. And I love that it comes after their failure. Maybe they even see how these guys handled the failure. Maybe they start to look and understand that what they originally saw as Jesus' failure, his death on the cross, was actually the ultimate victory for all mankind. And I don't know how hard it was for the apostles as they walked through this minefield that they themselves made, but I'm sure it was not easy. You get a few lines in the book of Acts about it, but I'm sure it was much longer and more complicated than seven verses. And for you, I don't know what your failures are. Some of you guys, I know what your failures are because you're close to me, but some of you, I don't. But I've got to tell you that God is the one who walks with you through those things. God is the one who defines your life. God is the one who does the miraculous. God sometimes will do a miracle and pull you out of a thing. But I think it's much more miraculous that he will walk with you through your failure and through your pain to grow you on the backside. I mean, maybe your addiction is to yourself or to pride or to laziness or even to a substance. You say, why doesn't God take this craving away? Because God wants to grow you through this thing to bring you out on the other side. Maybe you've done something in your life and you're completely melting down your entire family and your entire life. You have to understand that Jesus has not left you and he wants to walk with you in the midst of that so you will grow with him as you do. My encouragement for you would be to live like the disciples. Take one step after another, trusting Jesus, trusting God. 
Uh, first service, I said there's this old, old movie called Chariots of Fire, but apparently it isn't too old because Star Wars is older than it. So I'm old, apparently. Okay? Uh, it's about this runner. His name is Eric Liddell. And in this, and in this movie, um, he beats this guy named Harold Adams, who's the former world champion. And Harold, after he loses, he's really depressed. Uh, he's got this pain of losing and failures. He says he's never going to run again. I'll never run again. I lost a race. Boo-hoo. Right? So whatever. And his girlfriend in the movie says to him, she goes, you lost a race, not a relative. And Harold says, but I lost. And she says, I know. It, it was, I was there. It was marvelous. You were marvelous. He was just more marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> and Harold says this, I don't run to take beatings, I run to win. And Sybil says this, if you don't run, you can't win. If you don't run, you can't win. The truth is, God has called us to run with him, what he's laid out before us. The Apostle Paul even likens it to a race. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but all, the, but all who have loved his appearing. Guys, you understand, there is a prize already laid up for us, won by Jesus. So we live for him. We're like a group A. We don't dwell in the places that we failed except to where it moves us on past it. We live in the life of the freedom that God has laid before us. We walk with him and watch him. We stand amazed of what the gospel has done in our life and we proclaim that to everyone. He has purchased our redemption with Jesus' blood. We do not have to earn it heaven. We do not have to earn a relationship with him. We have it. So we are called to simply live it. We live in the grace and the goodness that he provides. And once we begin to understand that, I think we will become much more the church outside these walls than the church inside these walls. Because we'll understand how we're just to go for it. And there are places where we fail. And when we fail, what do we do? We do not act like Congress and blame it on somebody else. We take responsibility for it. We say, you know, right, you're right, I failed. And I am sorry that I failed you. And I want to grow, and I want to be with by the grace of God, that will happen. We understand that because God has first already forgiven us. I mean, the, the whole idea behind communion of breaking that cracker like his body is broken for us, of dipping it in wine of the grape juice, is that Jesus died for our sins, for our failures. He took upon himself. They are taken care of. We no longer have to go and try and atone for our own sins because Jesus already did that. And understanding that we get to live in great freedom. This is how we understand it's not our story. We're trying to invite God into our story. It is God's story. And God writes us into his. This is the understanding of what he has done and what he continues to do. You see, people got these stupid bumper stickers that say, God is my co-pilot. If that's true, you are in the wrong seat. Okay? Because God is the pilot. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. We trust our lives into the more than capable hands of Jesus because when we trust him in our own hands, what do we do? We fail over and over and over. And yet he is the one who comes and rescues and redeems and restores us to relationship and life again. This is what our great God does. This is the heart of the gospel. That Jesus has paid for us and brought us home, that he has redeemed and ransomed us from our failures and our mistakes to bring us into a relationship with God again because he is good. The band's going to come up. As they do, we invite you to take communion. Like I said, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer about anything, they'd love to pray with you. But maybe this morning you're, you're feeling like a failure and you don't know maybe how to get past that. They'd love to pray with you about that. Maybe you have a friend who is always dealing in places of, of misery, and they always feel like, I'm a failure, this will never work out. And you don't know how to really talk to them. Pray with them. They'd love to talk to you about how to maybe work somebody through that. Understanding 
that as we talk about Jesus, he is the one who is our hope. Why are we a people who don't mourn like the rest of the world? Because we have a hope that is in the person of Jesus. Why don't we sit when we fail and just sit in the midst of our failure like, oh, woe is me. Why? Because we have a Savior who has redeemed us and who has paid for our sin and who has brought us home. That's why. And so we live in great freedom and great hope because our God has brought us great hope. They're offering boxes in the side wall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is then simply part of our worship. You have the opportunity every week. There's food in the back. We invite you to grab something to eat and maybe meet some other people and go through, go through some of the questions in the sermon notes. I mean, maybe be honest about where you failed and, and where that failure has defined you. And then maybe understanding how Jesus' redemption of that can maybe change how you define yourself. That you begin to see yourself as a child of God first and foremost. And that would inform everything else in your life because our God has rescued and redeemed and saved us. Live in the world around you like a group A. Live in the great freedom and joy that God has brought. So people are like, what is up with those weirdos? You're like, Jesus. <laughs> Don't do it like that. That would be creepy. Okay? I'll pray for you. Come here. No. Yeah, just... <laughs> Live in a... I'm going to make myself crack up. You... At least someone will laugh at my jokes. Me. Right? Um, you... you, live, you... Touch people around you because God has first touched you and loved you. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us how to live in your ways, to honor you in our lives in such a way that we listen to what you have said about us more than what our failures say about us. That we, have, we'll, we would trust you for where you have moved us into and that we would look at all the things that have happened in our lives And we would not let those failures define who we are. That we would understand that you are a God who has said that you are my child. That we are adopted into your family, which means we are loved. We are wanted by you. And that should define who we are. I ask that we wouldn't understand grace as something that says that we don't need to be on mission or don't need to do anything or it doesn't matter when we fail because it does. It does. But we understand grace as the understanding of your redefinition of who we are. That you have paid for our failures. And you intend for us to grow and walk through all the hard things that come into our lives even because of our own failures. Father, thank you for redeeming us for taking all the things that want to pull us so far away from you and using them to grow us and move us to be the people that you call us to be. Have us walk in your ways, lifting you up in all things so that you would gain great glory and that we as your people would live in the great freedom and joy that you have purchased and brought to us. We would honor you in all that we do Because you are a great and a good God who has rescued us. Amen.